Welcome to Zero Knowledge. I'm your host, Anna Rose. In this podcast, we will be exploring the latest in zero knowledge research and the decentralized web, as well as new paradigms that promise to change the way we interact and transact online. In this week's episode, I check in with the folks at Aztec. Aztec is a ZK-based privacy L2 project. The team has a track record of delivering some of the most important ZK research and implementations. One big highlight here would be the original Planck paper. In this interview, I chat with Joe and Charlie from the team. We talk about Aztec Connect and how this relates to ZK Money. We talk about how the team has evolved, what future projects they are working on, such as the DSL Noir and Aztec 3. We also talk about what stopped their recently planned launch at the very last minute. We do kind of a quick postmortem on that. And what's next for the project? But before we kick off, I just want to remind you to check out the ZK Jobs Board. If you're looking to work in ZK professionally, this is a great place for you to find your next gig. You can find job postings from some of the top teams working in ZK. Also, if you are a team looking to recruit, this would be a great place for you to let technical people know that you're looking to hire. I've added the link in the show notes. Now, Tanya from the ZK Podcast team will be sharing a little bit about this week's sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Alio. Alio is a new layer one blockchain that achieves a programmability of Ethereum, privacy of Zcash, and the scalability of a rollup. If you're interested in building private applications, then check out Alio's programming language called Leo, which enables non-cryptographers to harness the power of ZKPs to deploy decentralized exchanges, hidden information games, regulated stable coins, and more. Visit leo-lang.org to start building. That's leo-lang.org. You can also participate in Alio's incentivized testnet 3 by downloading and running a Snark OS node. No signup is necessary to participate. For questions, join their Discord at alio.org discord. So thanks again, Alio. Now here's Anna's interview with Aztec. Today, I'm here in person with Joe and Charlie from Aztec. We're going to be talking about Aztec, the trusted setup they did, ZK Money, and Aztec Connect. Welcome to the show, both of you. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. I am very excited to hear about the latest on the project. Quick disclosure, the ZK Validator is a small investor in the project as well. Joe, you've been on, this is your second time on. And I think last time we were talking primarily about ZK Money, but uh, We'll, I'll add a link to that in the show notes, but maybe do you want to just let people know a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so normally my role is kind of focused on product, um, helping take uh, everything that Zach and the crypto team build and Charlie and the engineering team build, um, making it into something that people can click on and play with. Um, but more recently, it's kind of more encompassing fundraising, regulation, um, a lot more boring things, but um, they're also very important. So yeah, do do you a lot of uh, different hats here at Aztec? Would you say you work on product? Yeah, that, technically that's my my full title. But okay. um, yeah, at the moment it's been a few other things have crept into that remit. <laughs> so, <laughs> as it is in a in a in a fast growing company. Cool. And Charlie, this is the first time we meet. Tell me a little bit about what you do at Aztec. Yeah, well, I'm the uh, lead engineer here at Aztec, and I've been here about three years so far. Uh, and I've been involved in almost everything since the trusted setup, but um, I define a lot of like the uh, tech stack that we use and the process, and I've just been very heavily uh, involved in engineering 
uh, Aztec 2 and uh, a new product that will be launching soon, Aztec Connect. Very cool. So you just mentioned the trusted setup. Years ago, I did, I think now we're talking two years ago, I did a series on trusted setups. Mm. And I think we had Tom, who was at Aztec at the time, on the show talking about Ignition. That was the name, right? Yeah, we called it Aztec Ignition. Aztec Ignition. And so that that episode we'll link in the show notes. That was, you know, a multi-interview episode. I interviewed a number of people doing trusted setups. I remember being really impressed with the Aztec ignition ceremony and actually later doing, I I helped Kobe do the Plumo ceremony. And like, that was one of the ones we were like really looking at as like a guide. Tell me a little bit about what it was like to build it. Um, It was fun to build it. Uh, it was the first thing that I was that I was actually doing uh, when I joined Aztec. Uh, I think our trusted setup was, they're all quite different, like yeah, people yeah. have these different algorithms and ours just was this process of um, like doing a huge numbers of uh, elliptic point scalar multiplications, like a hundred million of them, I think. And um, it was done sequentially by, I think, over 173 people around the world. Um, so the actual like efforts of like a uh, process of doing this elliptic curve scalar multiplication was fairly simple. So what I, that was kind of already done. I just needed to make it extremely performant, like parallelize it over many cores. It was about six gigabytes of data that needed to be shifted from uh, participant to participant. So I built a coordination server, just a centralized thing that basically, and, and these Docker images, which meant that there was a very low uh, like barrier to entry to run it. It's like if you had Docker, you could just run this thing and it would connect to the server. It would put you in the queue and like when your turn came around, it would just stream the data down, perform these uh, elliptic curve scalar multiplications and sort of stream the data back up again, uh, ready for the next candidate to pick it up. Uh, and we visualized this all on like a pretty globe that I think is still still visible. Yeah, uh, yeah. I remember that. Uh, was it a headache? Like, was it, I mean, this was your first project. Maybe actually Joe as a, like more on the coordination side. Was it like, was it a fun activity? Was it something that brought your team together? Or would you say it was also kind of like a burden? Like trusted setups kind of get, I think they get we, kind of, you know, a bad yeah, rep. Yeah, I think it was, it was, there was a lot of coordination between kind of, um, people we wanted to run it who were not members of the public, but had specific requirements. Um, so like the, like they wanted to run it at certain times or something because they were an institution. Um, uh. so that was definitely a headache. Um, I remember Tom spent a lot of time kind of coordinating that, but I think the one thing that saved us compared to some of the more recent trusted setups is you could run this very quickly. Uh, I remember Charlie, um, rented out an AWS machine and I think had the record of what, five minutes or something for, for running the whole ceremony. Yes. Um, so yeah, the coordination wasn't that bad because we could kind of chunk the day into like hour slots and get quite a lot of people um, doing this. So it was, there was a lot of kind of updates for people to see the graph evolving, see who was doing it. Whereas some of the more recent trusted setups have been like eight hour affairs mm-hmm. and it's or longer. very painful because you're just like, oh wait, someone's still running the same thing two days later. And like, um, I think that did help us a little bit because a failed participant wasn't that much of an issue because we had this coordination server. Someone else could just jump back in and we, we got a lot of participants. I think at the time it was um, after Zcash, it was the largest trusted setup that had been done. Um, and most of the... Uh, I think Plonk implementa- implementations still use the CRS was output from that. It's now kind of a public good that anyone can use, which is 
I think a pretty cool legacy. Cool. And that CRS common reference string, yes. this is the thing that sort of unlocks a snark. This is the thing that you need to start a system. Uh, is that the wrong way to say it? <laughs> I'll take a stab and then Charlie can correct me. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I view it as kind of... Maybe unlock sounds more like you're revealing that... Yeah, I think you feed it in uh, in order to kind of uh, obscure all the gates in your program. Mm. So for each gate in your program, you need a point from the, the common reference string. Um, and that's kind of how we use it in, in Blanc. And um, the assumption there is that if that point was generated in a trusted setup, then there's no other way for you to kind of back out what happened uh, or how, how that point was generated. So it can be used in the program to mm. gain privacy. Would be my and that was, the, that was the piece that used to be called the toxic waste, right? There's this secret number, which is basically the combination of all the randomness of all 173 participants. Um, and that is called the toxic waste. And I think nobody knows what that is, because if you assume that one participant was honest and threw away their part of the randomness, then it's impossible to know what it is. Mm. And that randomness is then used to a, uh, as the uh, multiplier for these elliptic curve points. Um, so there's, they all have this sort of same relationship to one another in terms of how they've been exponentiated, but you don't know by how far. Mm. And then you can use those elliptic curve points um, within the uh, the mathematics of the of the proving system to 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 do the to make a snark basically work. I did do that episode a year ago, but I can tell like I am actually rusty because I have a question that I feel I probably already asked before at some point. But the common reference string is that is that actually secret, or is that viewable? No, it 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 that is uh, public information, and okay. it is. Um, a, a set of a hundred, about a hundred million elliptic curve points um, on on a on a particular elliptic curve. But why, like, how could that be public and yet somehow it's still securing the snark's privacy? Like, it's keeping the snark. Like, like, if you know that, why are you not able then to discover how the snark works or like undermine it? There's this this elliptic curve uh, multiplication that we do. You can take an elliptic curve point and there's a sequence of operations. If you want to sort of uh, exponentiate it by 10, say you go through the sequence and you end up with a resulting elliptic curve point, but you can't back out the fact that it was exponentiated by 10. 10 in this case uh, is the toxic waste that I'm talking about. So we have all of these elliptic curve points that sort of have these relationships to one another in the way that two, four, six, eight, sixteen have a relationship to one another but you just don't know by like the, the, the scalar value by which they've been exponentiated. Ah, okay. Because every one of the 173 participants did it by their own random number and then took, I took your result, exponentiated it, passed it on to Joe. He took it, exponentiated it wow. by a random number. So good luck trying to figure out what the combination <laughs> of all those random numbers is. Interesting. But the, yeah, the, that sort of relationship, 2, 4, 6, 8, 16 continues to exist. Cool. I feel like every time I talk about trusted setups, I get a little bit closer to understanding what's actually happening under the hood. Nice. Um, okay, so I want to keep going on kind of learning a bit about your role at Aztec. And so you worked on the trusted setup, but like nowadays, you know, yeah, what kind of role do you take in the org? Yeah, so after the ignition ceremony, I was then, uh, I sort of started working on 
um, the actual circuits themselves for uh, for what is currently our production Aztec two, as, as it's sometimes referred to, system. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I sort of uh, just laid the sort of the the foundation, the architectural foundation of that system, and wrote some of the initial circuits. And then, as the rest of the team became free. Uh, after moving on from our original Aztec One, everybody else sort of started contributing, and we've taken that on to the current live system at zk.money. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think Charlie's probably underselling himself a bit there. Um, Charlie's really responsible for everything from uh, past the cryptography. Well, as soon as that's been put into kind of a workable um, cryptography uh, production piece of software, um, Charlie and uh, the rest of the engineering team um, takes that and kind of builds it into kind of a, a usable kind of engineering piece of software. Um, that's everything from our client SDK, um, which kind of acts a bit like a full node in the browser, to our, our roll-up software, um, which actually aggregates thousands of transactions together and posts them to uh, Ethereum. Um, and yeah, as a result, um, Post-launch, we're actually moving Charlie up to CTO. Um, he's been with us for three years now. And I think his previous work has secured all of the um, circuits that people are using. So we think it's a, it's a worthy title um, to give him um, to help bring Aztec to the next level as we scale towards kind of decentralization. Very cool. I want to talk a little bit more about the structure of Aztec. So you sort of mentioned this like research side and engineering side. How do they work together? I mean, we have a we have a cryptography library called uh, Berettenberg, which I think is kind of the the main interface between the two, and I think that's where engineering and crypto meet. And it's probably one of the most interesting roles we're actually hiring for at Aztec is people in that library because you kind of have to have a a maths knowledge, but also um, I hope the cryptography team won't mind me saying this, but sometimes cryptographers don't write the nicest code. Uh-huh. Um, so kind of being able to kind of uh, take crypto cryptography put it into code and then make it production ready um is i think the interface and uh charlie can talk a bit more about how how the team's structured around that um yeah so i think joe's yeah described it quite well as there's this this interface between the cryptographers and and the sort of the larger engineering team which who sort of operate at a higher level like i myself for example am not a, a cryptographer i'm sort of like trying to uh, learn as much as possible as I go along, and uh, you know it's a slow process because it's quite complicated. But um, yeah, I mean our, our cryptographers—they're um, largely working on you know proving system-related things, and then I guess where we sort of meet in the middle is the circuits themselves. Because writing the Snark circuits, we currently write that all in uh, C++ uh, using like s- sort of a custom standard library. You know, our representation of a bool, our representation of an integer. And normal engineers can understand those concepts. Um, the cryptographers kind of build these little components, these little bools and int components that work in the proving system and so that normal engineers can then start building circuits. There's still some sort of nuance to uh, writing circuits. Um, you need to get your head into a certain sort of way of thinking, like certain things don't exist at the moment, like easy branching logic, if statements, things like that need to be done in sort of clever ways. But there's definitely things that engineers can pick up. I mean, I picked it up and I sort of wrote the initial circuits. So it's, it's, that's kind of like the meeting point. And then, of course, taking that and actually turning that into a real viable functioning product that works in the real world is just a whole nother sort of leap. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like the theoretics and sort of like getting something theoretically sort of working and like a little green tick in a test is like one thing, but being able to make that operate at scale uh, reliably and stably is a, is a whole other thing. Wow. This actually makes me a bit more curious, Charlie, to your background before that. Like, what were you doing that sort of led you to this role? Um well, I've just always been a huge computer geek. Like I, I started programming when I was about 10 years old and I just sort of fell in love with it immediately. Um, and yeah, you know, I sort of, I originally wanted to be a, a games developer, you know, it was that sort of formative gaming time back in the nineties where games like Doom and things were coming out. That industry exploded into like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, like-sized teams, and I, that mm. kind of put me off a little bit. I didn't really, I, I liked the idea of the small team creating something big. Um, and I went through various sort of big companies. You know, I worked for Toshiba, Betfair, Bloomberg, and then I, I didn't like the big companies, so I moved to the startup space. I worked for a couple of small startups. Um, and in 2016, I, I got into, into crypto, like so many did, like, uh, and sort of thought, wow, you know, the, the flavor of this is much like those sort of formative gaming years back where you've got constrained environments and oh. you're sort of changing the world uh, at the same time by sort of building in them and, and small teams of people can really make a difference. And um, that's when I sort of knew I wanted to get into crypto. I sort of started working on personal crypto projects, client libraries and the like, and eventually I discovered Aztec, uh, and I'm very glad I did. So cool. I think we found, well, you found us in the dark depths of Reddit. I think, so. <laughs> I, think I discovered I discovered Aztec in Reddit. I think I originally sent an email, got no response. I think it just got lost in the ether, yeah. but I was not uh, put off. And I, I tried again a few months later and hmm. yeah, it, it all worked out. But I mean, working with Aztec, it's not just kind of blockchain, it's your knowledge. What was the connection there? Like, do you feel like, it's not really just, yeah, it's not straight up crypto. What's, how, what's, how does ZK add to that? Well, I think the privacy aspect of what we're doing sort of sits like deep, like with me, ideologic, like personally, you know, I, I, I'm big on protecting user data and privacy and things like that. I think we're in a bit of a dark time of, of users um, having their data mined and, and being controlled by their data. And uh, yeah. I think it's really important that we, you know, we protect what we have by having uh, effectively private forms of cash and uh, and things like this. Uh, and also I think there's just huge business gains to be had for this for, for parts of the world that are economically developing, et cetera. I was just gonna say, I think uh, on privacy, like mine and Charlie's kind of, not differences, but how, how we view what can be built with Aztec are most emphasized by kind of ZK money and Charlie's interpretation, which is a command line interface, uh, which he built around our SDK. So very kind of, um, very kind of like hackerish and, um, maybe taking you back to those, those doom days. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it just shows that, that there's a lot of different flavors to kind of privacy and what can be built on the network and, um, a scale of privacy as well, um, which people will find their kind of, uh, their level on. You just mentioned ZK Money. And actually, I mean, I think I am very curious about like what that connection is between like ZK Money and Aztec Connect. So yeah, tell, tell me, well, actually, maybe let's start with introducing ZK Money. Yeah, so ZK Money is our kind of example application of what can be built on top of Aztec. Um, we first uh, shipped the first version of it actually for Aztec One. Um, it was very clunky, um, enabled confidential payments, and it, it, its goal was to show what's possible with mm -hmm. the Aztec SDK. 
it got a massive kind of upgrade and revamp in in March 2021, which is I think what I spoke about on on the last uh, episode, enabling these uh, fully private payments um, for cheaper than uh, a normal Ethereum transaction, really showing kind of that um, privacy was no longer a, a UX um, burden. And what we've done uh, kind of with the new version of ZK Money, um, which is kind of coming out with the Aztec Connect launch, uh, is we've upgraded it to have all the new functionality of the Aztec SDK that's been added by Aztec Connect. So you can think of ZK Money as kind of a showcase of what's possible to build with our SDK um, now that the Aztec Connect functionality has been added to it. Um, and as a reminder of Aztec Connect, uh, it's a kind of set of tools to allow enable people to uh, interact with layer one DeFi contracts completely privately from inside Aztec mm. and with 10 to 30 times gas savings um, for a process called DeFi batching. So the roll up, I mean, the ZK money is still going to be ZK money. Yeah. Aztec Connect. So yeah, that it didn't, I thought Aztec Connect was kind of taking it over. Aztec Connect is the suite of tools, which actually allows you to do stuff on the kind of main chain across to the L2. Correct. Yeah. So we have kind of a, a Solidity contract interface, which is the Aztec Connect bridge interface, which enables the roll-up contract to talk to any DeFi protocol. It effectively models um, the DeFi protocol as an asynchronous token swap. So you take two tokens, put them in, and sometime later you get two tokens back. Mm. Um, and you can model most of DeFi like that, wow. um, which is kind of cool. Um, and then we have the Aztec SDK, um, which enables you to construct zero-knowledge proofs to interact with these uh, kind of contracts. So the way you do that is you have shielded funds on Aztec, and instead of sending them to another user, like you could do kind of with the original SDK, you can now send them to what's called a bridge ID. Um, and a bridge ID is kind of this encoded set of instructions, which tells the roll-up contract which layer one smart contract to call and with kind of what funds. And if that proof is valid, it could have come from anyone inside Aztec. Mm. Um, and it's kind of how we get privacy. And then I guess the really cool part is you can actually batch these together. So if we all do the same transaction, we can be bundled together in a giant kind of aggregated roll-up proof and we all share the gas costs. So we can kind of do the same Uniswap um, transaction for a tenth of the price or a hundredth of the price, depending on how many people are in the batch. Does the batching in this case contribute at all to privacy? No, it's actually um, just gas savings, the batching. The, the privacy okay. set is kind of quite hard to define, but our, our best effort at the moment is um, the set of depositors that a given public kind of uh, bridge interaction could have come from, plus the set of bridge interactions, which also brought that asset in. So if you think about kind of... Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll try again, but if you yeah. think if, if you think about, ETH, <laughs> I'm making a bit of a confused face here. <laughs> yeah, if you think about ETH um, as a privacy set, um, there's kind of deposits into the system from L1, and let's say we have a hundred of those. Um, so in a simple system, the privacy set would be a hundred users, kind of for a given asset. But with Aztec Connect, um, ETH can come into the system through two ways: one for a deposit. And secondly, through a bridge, DeFi bridge interaction mm. through Aztec Connect. Mm -hmm. So you could swap on Uniswap, you could kind of... Oh, yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, because there is just the deposits as well. There's like people just using yeah. it in sort of its vanilla so form. So this, this privacy ah, okay, set okay. actually can grow like pretty uh, exponentially because there's multiple ways now for um, 
kind of ETH to get into the system. Mm. And uh, we're excited about that growing. Can you, though, go in through the DeFi way and then out in the vanilla way? Not really, right? Doesn't the contract sort of cause both actions? Um, you can deposit, uh, do DeFi interactions, uh, and then exit with those funds. So it's kind of fully composable, but you can't, you have to start with funds in Aztec. So either, either via kind of a, a deposit um, or we're working on uh, various on and off ramps uh, to kind of have other ways to get funds into mm-hmm. Aztec from centralized exchanges. Cool. Oh, wow. Like potentially directly there. Yeah. The reason I was asking if the batching had anything to do with privacy was that I know, you know, I think also last year we had a, we did a something called ZK Sessions focused on privacy and DeFi. And Zach had talked about like a way to make a private DEX using batching. And that was when you said that term, I thought, oh, maybe it was related. But in the, like, if you're, you're like what you just kind of suggested is like you're actually going to do the DeFi in the rollup in private. So, so actually the, the, the DeFi stays public in Aztec Connect. Oh, it does. Oh, it, really? So if you think about okay. we've got all these building blocks on, on layer one. So we've got Uniswap, we've got Aave, we've got all of these kind of, um, I guess, battle tested, um, more like institutions now in DeFi that have survived a few kind of market um, crashes like like yesterday and the day before. Um, <laughs> we'll see if they survive <laughs> today. by the time this airs. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. All right. um, and what Aztec Connect enables is kind of, instead of having to move those to uh, a new execution environment uh, like Aztec, we actually just keep them where they are and we move the users to Aztec, make the users private mm-hmm. um, and let them then interact with these public protocols. Um, I think what Zach was maybe talking about previously is it's actually quite hard to make a, pub, a private Uniswap because yeah. um, it, it, by definition, it's the ratio of two public uh, pools. So it's actually it's actually quite difficult. So with Aztec Connect, we we took the approach that um, giving users privacy around kind of which user was interacting with a given um, DeFi protocol and also what a user's holdings were. Um, was sufficient privacy rather than kind of reinventing the wheel, having to move liquidity to the L2 and kind of rebuild everything from scratch on the L2. Um, and that's definitely been one of the main selling points of, of Aztec Connect. Um, there's a lot of protocols that I call them second order protocols, but they, they're not just dependent on their own smart contracts. So something like an element, um, even something like a Lido, it can't really move to a traditional L2 as a different execution environment because it relies on something else being on on L1. Mm. So with Lido, you need the deposit contract for the beacon chain uh, to be able to actually use Lido, and that's not going to move to an L2. Um, Or with Element, you need kind of balancer and curve and and loads of other protocols to actually exist for their protocol to function. So there's this unsolved question with traditional L2s around kind of breaking composability and liquidity fragmentation that we didn't really want to have to try and solve. So we we just made the users private and gave them a way to cheaply and privately access what they already loved on L1. I This makes me curious. Can you use assets on ZK Money as collateral in other things? Do you have that use case or is that like, is there? Yeah, definitely. So, okay. so, so all, all an asset is on Aztec and and all ZK money is just a, a like a viewport to show you what assets you have on on Aztec. Um, but let's take a really simple case of, of ETH. 
all ZK Ethers, which is kind of our, our name for assets inside uh, Aztec, um, it's ETH that's owned by the Aztec rollup contract. So you send your ETH to the Aztec rollup contract on layer one, uh, and in return, you get a claim on that ETH in the form of a UTXO note, because um, Aztec works on UTXOs under the hood, and you can do that for any asset. Um, and then to, to go back to the question on, can you use that for collateral? Um, if there's something on L1 that kind of accepts the assets you have as collateral, you can construct a zero knowledge proof that instructs the rollup contract to send it to that L1 smart contract via Aztec Connect as a bridge. Wow. So any bridge, any kind of like collateral is possible um, to kind of deposit. Um, and that's exactly where we're starting with Aztec Connect actually as well. Uh, so kind of staking all these kind of low immediacy use cases like lending, staking, kind of yield use cases. Um, we'll start with just Ethan Dai, but we'll be very quickly adding in most ERC20 tokens um, and expanding kind of the the places you can deposit assets as collateral and earn a yield. Wow. That's exciting. This is, I mean, do you feel like Aztec Connect is the piece that makes, I mean, it sounds like it's it's the thing that really opens up ZK Money to be much more usable than what it is right now, which is like, it. It. I mean, actually, yeah, this is a question. How do people use ZK Money without it? Yes, it's a great question, actually. So two ways. Um, so you can either use it for just paying uh, friends, uh, DAO contributors, just paying people privately on chain. Um, most people do that with uh, DAI um, because it's dollar stable. Um, or you can use it a bit like a mixer at the moment and uh, withdraw your funds uh, back to L1. Um, and then you have a form of privacy on L1 to go and interact with the DeFi protocol, but you don't get gas savings. And what Aztec Connect enables is kind of all of the things that people used to leave to go and do they can now stay in Aztec and access them through ZK Money. So it's just That's a cool. much better kind of user experience. Um, you don't have to keep track of multiple wallets on chain to work out, hey, did I withdraw to this address previously? You just do everything from inside mm. Aztec and you have this privacy by default. Do you, I mean, I, I wonder how much can you see as the engineers building this of the activity inside <laughs> since it's private? I'm almost like curious what behavior, like, I guess you have, I guess you haven't seen Aztec Connect behavior yet because it's not launched as we're recording it. But even in just kind of generally, like it, it maybe in test nets or whatever, like how much can you see into what is actually happening inside? Yeah, I can take a stab on, at the on-chain and then maybe Charlie can talk a bit more about uh, SDKs and kind of what's technically possible for people to decipher. Um, so on chain, because DeFi protocols that we're interacting with are public, um, we uh, can see which DeFi protocol uh, a given set of transactions is trying to interact with, because mm -hmm. um, you're going to see it on, on Etherscan. And you can also see uh, the total amount uh, that group of users want to send to that protocol. But what you can't see is what users on Aztec that came from, what their total balance is on Aztec. Uh, but you can see kind of the public uh, kind of transaction that results from the correct verification of our ZK rollup um, on Ethereum. So another way of thinking about it is kind of the Aztec rollup contracts like this puppet. And uh, if people like pull the strings in a certain way with um, a, a zero knowledge proof, um, then it will 
make a transaction with a DeFi protocol. So if you look to Etherscan, you just see this roll-up contract um, interacting with various protocols instead of users interacting. Um, so you can see, still see some stuff, but you can't see who, which is, mm. the, I guess, the big breakthrough. And what can people see under the hood, like in ZK Money? Or what can you see actually as engineers or like somebody who's observing what's going on? Well, the, the SDK, what we call the SDK runs on the front end. Like uh, on, the, on the back end, we receive uh, these joint split proofs from every user which is generated inside that SDK, which runs in the client's browser. Um, and we don't see, I mean, th this is the same as ZK money right now. We don't see, uh, we don't see anything like the values that come through are encrypted. We can see an IP address sent this proof, but we don't know, um, the values, uh, or, or, or who sent that proof. Like we can't identify them within the system. The SDK, which runs in the client, well, that only has a view of specifically, uh, your account notes. It, it downloads actually all of the data that's that's taken place. It downloads, uh, there are these things that we currently call viewing keys. There are these encrypted pieces of information for every single note in the system, but they're, they're encrypted. And we actually at the moment have to do a brute force decryption over all of those to find out which ones uh, yours are, mm. uh, belong to you. Um, so you, you can only see what obviously you're allowed to see. Um, yeah. Can you see volume or would you calculate volume more from the bridge part? Like, do you know how much activity is happening? Yes. Uh, well, we can see sort of transaction throughput. So, you okay. know, we can see how many proofs were being sent. Okay. We can see, we have graphs, these pretty little graphs where we can see, oh gosh, it was a really busy few hours or yeah. a really busy day or oh, it's a bit quieter now. But um, it is quite mysterious to have a system running in which, you know, you've got a bunch <laughs> of people using it and you don't really have any insight as to actually what they're doing. It's quite different and a thing that obviously I've, I've worked on before. As a user, do you, do you have the ability to create like a viewing key? Is that what they call it? Like the, the way, if they wanted to show that something has happened, can they do that? You, you can, if you wanted to reveal your, uh, you know, you can obviously share your keys with people. I'm not sure if you'd want to do that, <laughs> but if you want to share your privacy key with someone that can obviously uh, reveal your balances and your notes that does not give people the ability to then spend them that's handled separately by something called spending keys okay so you can control um you can control yeah who can who can view and who can spend as two two separate things but you call it like privacy key not private key it's not you're not sharing your private key in this, um, are you so so there's all sorts of terrible terminologies that get conflated with one another when we say privacy key here it's it's also you can be thought of as like uh, your privacy key has two aspects to it. it has both a public and private key aspect yeah yeah it's just not used so they're both private keys but the the use of the private key is uh it has a different outcome so the privacy key is purely used for encryption um and decryption of notes it can never spend notes um and the spending keys can spend notes. So we separated it for regulatory reasons. Um, also just because, uh, if you have multiple devices, sharing spending keys across devices is, is really difficult with like hardware wallets, but something like a privacy key could have like slightly different security assumptions, um, and could be shared across multiple, um, kind of devices. It's a, it's a different set of trust assumptions, basically. Um, you can also do um, kind of more interesting things um, like proof of uh, transaction logs. So if you give someone your kind of 
privacy key uh, and a set of transactions. It effectively uh, acts as a compliance log. You can say, okay, in Aztec, I only transacted with uh, these four individuals and I then did these 10 DeFi interactions with myself. So all the funds I have in Aztec, which total one ETH, came from these events, mm -hmm. which is really useful for kind of off-ramping to centralized exchanges or just doing tax returns and yeah. things like that. So you were saying though that you're like now opening it up to have like, you know, centralized exchanges potentially connect directly to the L2 without, I guess, going through kind of Ethereum. Do you have the vision as well to have other L2s connect directly into Aztec? Yeah, it's definitely something that's on the roadmap, but it's it, it's a little bit further away because um, what you need is kind of a version of Aztec on the L2. Mm -hmm. And then- You need uh, EVM, pure, like full yeah. EVM compatibility on but, the L2 then. Yeah, and you need to be able to pass messages between them. So if you had kind of Aztec uh, running as an L2 on Ethereum, and then Aztec running on another EVM compatible chain, L2 or kind of other layer one, if you had a very good way of passing messages between them, you could kind of effectively represent all transfers between these two Aztec instances as like a state hash of a Merkle tree. Mm -hmm. And then on the new environment, you could kind of unwind that and say, okay, well, I've destroyed funds uh, on the kind of canonical Aztec L2 instance. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to be able to create funds on the new kind of Aztec polygon or Aztec optimism. Um, but it's it's a it's a bit of work. Um, it also sounds like that bridge needs to, like, would you almost be sending a snark promising that like something's happened on one side to the other? Or is you, that like... You're just sending a hash and then you kind of would kind of unpack the hash on okay. the other side. So that'd be kind of like two, two roll-ups. But it's... I'm definitely oversimplifying and the kind of security of that messaging bridge is um, there's a lot of posts by kind of Vitalik on the security of bridges and it's just not something we're we're thinking about um, in the immediate term because uh, with the current design, we can actually achieve a lot of the scaling kind of benefits of other L2s directly inside Aztec. So there hasn't been a need yet, but if, if one of these environments actually takes off, I think we would, we would strongly start to consider it. There's no, like, no one can deploy a smart contract within as in, within ZK Money, though, right? Not yet. It's a misconception, actually. So we have programmable circuits, and we've had them since we launched uh, Aztec 2. Um, Charlie just had to write them. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we have an account circuit, and, and well, Charlie and the whole team had to write them. Uh, we have an account circuit and a payment circuit in the currently live system. And with Aztec Connect, um, we spent over a year adding two circuits, um, a DeFi deposit circuit and a DeFi claim circuit. So these are kind of programs that the Aztec team has written. Uh, we've had to kind of use the whole cryptography team to audit these. It's, it's a lot of work to kind of write these programs, um, but we do have programmability. We are working though on a way to kind of have general purpose programmability where you don't have to be kind of working for Aztec mm -hmm. to um, write circuits in Aztec. And that's where kind of Noir fits into the puzzle. The so language. yeah, we have this um, open source project Noir, which is led by Kev. Um, and it's it's a DSL for, for SNARKs, um, specifically uh, Planck-based SNARKs. Um, and it enables you to kind of very easily write 
um, SNARK programs without having to be a cryptographer. And that's kind of what Noir does. Internally, we also have a project called Aztec 3, which kind of enables the roll-up to consume Noir circuits. So we kind of, it's like the missing piece to have like a fully programmable private smart contract platform running on, on Ethereum as an LT. Cool. When you say, like, I, I sort of want to tease that out of like what you can actually build. It, it almost sounds like you're like hard coding or like it's not a platform to just deploy contracts. So when you talk about a smart contract, I'm assuming you're like, you're actually touching the the actual construction of this rollup. Yeah, I mean, I think at, at a high level, the current state of things is all the programs that we write or circuits that we write act on shared state. So that's the main complication is there's one Merkle tree which has all the data in it and any program that we deploy into our rollup can modify that state. Okay. So, so we have to be very, very careful about kind of uh, what those programs do because they they could inadvertently, if there's a bug, you could think you're spending funds, but you could delete someone's account or like, it, oh like you could do some pretty serious <laughs> stuff. So, so we can't open yeah, yeah. that up to the public um, at the moment. So what Noir basically enables is uh, it wraps those programs in a virtual machine, um, which kind of enforces some smart contract-like semantics. So mm. state variables have owners. Um, you can't destroy state unless you own it or you have permission to destroy it. And you can call other contracts within the system, um, much like you can on Ethereum. So that's kind of what Aztec 3 and Noir kind of enables, which is missing from the current system. I see. What would it mean for someone to use this? Like when you talk about a, I'm, I'm trying to sort of picture an engineer coming, base, maybe you can just tell me like, what could they design? What would they design? And how would they actually interact? I think the the place to start is if, if you imagine Aztec Connect as these programs we've written, um, we've tried to make a generic interface for all of DeFi. And we think it probably captures 80 to 90% of protocols. But there's probably some protocols where it doesn't. Uh, sufficiently kind of capture the needs. Um, so the, the first sort of use case would be just modifying Aztec Connect, but doing it in a kind of maybe adding three um, asset types in instead of two or adding kind of NFTs or some some kind of different mechanic by modifying kind of our existing programs. Um, and then from there, you kind of start to think about kind of more interesting use cases like coding up a DAO where um, the voting mechanics are private or uh, the rules that govern the DAO are actually written in an Aztec contract and are hidden um, or kind of moving all the way up to kind of ZK games, which is uh, a bit further in the future, but something that we're super excited uh, uh, to kind of work on uh, yeah, once cool. it's ready. How do you interface with Noir? Is it part of Aztec's company that's doing it? Yeah, we have a, we have a, a small crack team of uh, compiler experts that are currently working specifically on Noir. Still, uh, it's still sort of in development. The syntax is still being figured out. It's very uh, Rust-like in 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 its sort of its syntax. That there's a specific team working on that, and then you know, obviously the the Aztec three team, which has to write all the supporting smart contracts to enable. Uh, that full programmability, they're, they're a slightly separate team. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's currently how they're interfacing, but they're still sort of in their research and early prototyping phases. Cool. How does Noir compare to things like Leo or 
snarky JS. Like these, there's other basically ZK languages. We've done a few sessions actually at ZK Hack and a ZK Sessions where we talked, we had Alex Ozdemir do a survey of these different languages. Where does Noir fit in? I guess the reason we we set out to build kind of a new one uh, when there was already so many is um, at the time there wasn't a Planck specific um, kind of DSL uh, and that's really what Noir is kind of designed to to enable. Um, some of the kind of uh, circum and artworks now support Planck based um, kind of uh, proving systems, uh, but they kind of were originally written for kind of multiple different proving systems and um, Noir can support multiple ones, but it's specifically designed for kind of the optimizations around um, Planck based proving systems. So that's kind of why it exists. And we kind of wanted to make it a much uh, higher level language than some of the existing um, snark based languages. Um, something like a circum uh, doesn't really have like a standard library. You have to kind of implement everything from scratch and really be a cryptographer. So if you want to be doing like a Merkle proof or a range constraint, you'd probably have to write that or maybe use, use one that someone else has written, but it's not supported in the language itself. Um, something like Noir exposes kind of all of Aztec's standard library um, through uh, its programs. So you get kind of the benefit of the Aztec cryptography team. If you're just a small kind of uh, two-person startup building something in Noir, you can rely on kind of our cryptography um, and really not have to worry about being a cryptographer, just work on program features and, and what you want to build. How do you think the different languages play out down the line? Will there be Will there be ways for these languages to sort of interact with each other? And maybe this is not, that's not like the problem you need to solve, but like, could that happen? I think technically, I mean, I'm a little bit out of my depth here. I mean, I know that one thing that we're working on uh, with Noir is um, enabling kind of you to take a Noir program and compile it to different uh, kind of backends, as we call it. Um, and we have like an intermediate representation uh, in between kind of the front end of the language, like what you see when you're a developer writing the program uh, and actually the proving system. So I think kind of if you can compile down to a, the same intermediate representation, uh, there'll be a way for you to kind of potentially use different languages in different uh, settings. Um, but these are all quite experimental at the moment. Mm -hmm. So it, 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 it would require a lot of standardization <laughs> yeah. from various teams to agree on like yeah. Yeah, how, what, what you agree to and what you settle on. But I do want to talk a little bit about Plonk. I mean, Plonk was a creation of the Aztec folks. It was, it was Zach and Ariel. Was there any other authors on the original? Yes, uh, we had uh, Wanner as well, who uh, worked on some of the security proofs, I believe. Cool. Yeah. I mean, Planck's been an incredibly powerful concept, I feel like, in the ZK space. Tell me a little bit about, like, yeah, how much more development has happened internally? Like, what is the roadmap for Planck? I know there's other teams who've also been running with it. Like, how do you kind of interact with that whole thing? And I know neither of you are necessarily the folks that do this directly. But, yeah, if you can just speak on behalf of Yeah, I, I think what both mine and Charlie's take here is is around what a different proving system enables. Um, so our current system um, is still being uh, written in TurboPlonk, um, which is probably two and a half years old now, I think, the, the paper. Um, and we think about it in terms of 
how many gates does it kind of take to prove or write a program that, that does kind of a ZK money or Aztec Connect transaction? And how long does it take to prove that? Because that's what the end user sees. And mm -hmm. that's kind of, that's where we work in. It's kind of like, am I waiting 30 seconds or 10 seconds to do a transaction when I generate this actual proof? Um, so at the moment we're still using TurboPlonk, um, transactions on the client take around 10 seconds and our kind of largest roll-ups take about seven minutes. Um, we are upgrading to UltraPlonk, um, in, in summer. I love these names. <laughs> TurboPlonk and OctoPlonk. Correct me if I'm right, uh, if I'm wrong, but like TurboPlonk made range constraints particularly cheap. Right? Yes. So if you, if you consider proving time is directly proportional to the number of gates in your circuit, like in Plonk to do a range constraint requires, i.e., is this number, for example, between these two values, um, required a huge number of gates. Uh, TurboPlonk, reduce that down to just like a handful of gates for a range constraint and thus it reduced proving time. And UltraPlonk uh, makes sort of a similar leap for, for, for certain things like complicated bitwise operations. We can do use many, many less gates to do like right shifts and ands and things like that, like bitwise ands, which makes certain algorithms that exist in the real world, such as SHA-256 cheaper. Uh, it will enable things like um, uh, sig uh, signatures to be done like uh, on curves that are not sort of native snark curves and mm. it sort of opens up a world of opportunities there because you can do them so much faster you called it ultra plunk but you i think i had heard octo plunk but that isn't what you said was it <laughs> octo plunk i think was shelved in favor of a, a slightly better name um, <laughs> <laughs> i like octo, octo so, so, so to go through the full list i think we have standard plunk Turbo Plonk and Ultra Plonk, which Ultra are Plonk, the okay. ones which are kind of immediately being deployed. And then the cryptography team to support uh, Aztec 3 is working on um, something which has been called Mega Plonk, Octo Plonk, but I think is now called Honk. Um, no. <laughs> so um, that is the kind of the, the, the latest of the cutting, cutting edge, but um, we haven't published um, that yet. Uh, but it's okay. kind of a work in progress that supports kind of a further increase in uh, or re reduction in proving time needed for Aztec 3 uh, because you have kind of these uh, much more complicated programs you need to run uh, with Aztec 3 and NOAA. I should add that Honk has an exclamation mark at the end. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. But you're so just a question. I had Mary Maller on the show just recently talking about like a lot of the work that she's been doing. And one of them was on lookup tables. Which, does does one of those incorporate lookup tables? Does TurboPlonk um, do it? Uh, UltraPlonk has, has lookup tables. Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, that is what enables these efficient bitwise operations. Got it. If anyone's curious, I can link to the Mary episode where we explain a little bit deeper what a lookup table is. Um, there's also a part of your stack that we found called falafel. Mm -hmm. What is falafel? Um, yeah, we have a lot of food-related <laughs> names. Uh, falafel, I think, I, I, I don't know who started it. It definitely wasn't me, although I did start them at the Middle Eastern trend in some of our services. And uh, like falafel is the is the name of what many teams probably call their sequencer or their coordinator. It it is it's just the server that we run that the browser like sends proofs to and it sends you data. Uh, effectively, it's just like a sort of an internal code name. But yeah, actually, let's talk a little bit about the roll up 
build. You mentioned a sequencer. Is there is there a plan to have sort of a decentralized sequencer community at some point? This is sort of, I'm going to just, for the listener, the roll-ups have sometimes different names. There's committees, sequencers, there's agents, there's, and like almost every system that bridges between two networks will have names for the thing that does it. In your, in your case, it's sequencer. Falafel. Falafel. Well, in your case, it's falafel. Uh, is is this is this the agent that also is making a snark? Um, it's coordinating the creation of the snark. We actually have uh, another service that runs behind Falafel called Halloumi, and that oh actually God. produces. <laughs> that actually it's almost produ- a sandwich. Okay, amazing. <laughs> that actually produces the the, the snark itself. It, it, that is a service that specifically runs this uh, highly optimized C plus plus code because it ha- and it runs on huge, great big uh, machines in AWS at the moment. Uh, and that generates the snark itself. And uh, Falafel just uh, asks Halumi to produce that proof and it kind of collects these things together and then it publishes them to mainnet. So you can actually have many, many Halumis, but you can only have one Falafel. Oh, okay. So what many snark producers and one sequencer. I mean, you specifically asked about decentralization. Of course, we want to, uh, as time goes on, we want to decentralize. So there would be many Falafels as well. Very cool. How, how like who... Going the Halloumi, the the ones that are making the snarks. Who are they? Like, what are they team members right now? Like, who's the it's snark a, creators? Well, that's just a piece of software that is running, uh, like in AWS, uh, and it, it takes it takes quite a huge amount of compute power to produce these things. So it's um, it's a large parallelized uh, system uh, that basically they they. They just do jobs. Like there's a whole bunch of jobs that need doing and they pick them up and those jobs are producing proofs. Okay, cool. Hmm. But like anyone could do it. Like um, they they are part of a system as a whole, and in theory, down the line, anyone can run the system as a whole. So it wouldn't be like an an individual will run a Halloumi, you would run Falafel and Halloumi together. But really, like as time goes on, we want to actually move out of the data center as well. Like uh, much, much longer term, we want we don't want you to have to be <laughs> running an expensive machine in a data center. That's not very decentralized either. So ultimately, like some of these services will probably condense down into single little things that people can hopefully run on commodity hardware. Cool. But we are we are looking like many years down the line for that. I think. What do you think needs to happen, kind of in the snark world, for that? Is is it the snark? That is the constraint here for it being able to run in a small on a, on a device. It's it, it will require um, next generation proving systems, which okay. has been alluded to. We're working on uh, and just a, a very large engineering effort. I think. Okay. Yeah, I think it's technically possible today. Um, it's just a lot of engineering, and um, you would have a, a throughput reduction as a, as a result. So, our kind of. It's the same kind of snarks that we run in the browser. So they already run on commodity hardware, um, but the gates in the browser uh, to kind of prove like the inner tiny snark is about 65,000 gates. And I think uh, the largest roll-up, what is it, close to 32 million gates? Yes, 32 million. Yeah, so it's it's kind of, it's, it's a lot more complicated when you're aggregating lots of transactions together. Um, you could do a smaller roll-up and maybe get it to run on, on a MacBook Pro right now, mm-hmm. like a two-by-two two roll-up. Um, but it's kind of, you would have a throughput sacrifice. So um, I think over the next uh, year or two with some kind of optimizations on the cryptography, 
uh, and a large engineering effort. It's all feasible. It's just kind of us charting our path towards progressive decentralization. Um, and for now, it makes more sense for us to kind of be a bit more centralized so we can update things more quickly. Cool. But going back to that conver- that question about decentralizing falafel, halloumi, creating this this landscape, how, how do you do it? What's the And maybe what's the timeline? Yeah, I think that the current plan is um, something we call a federated prover. And it's a, a model, I think, that MENA have pioneered, actually. Um, so you have kind of uh, two roles, like we have already, um, a coordinator, um, which we call falafel, um, which basically picks which transactions go in a block. Um, and then you have uh, a set of workers. Currently, those are all controlled by us on AWS, um, and we call them Halloumi. Um, but those could be decentralized, um, and you can decentralize both parts. So our timeline to kind of um, working towards that end goal um, actually looks a bit different, though. We, we would take the current system, which is um, one entity running Falafel and Halloumi, and get a few other people to actually run the system as is. So we'd have some kind of uh, trusted investors, kind of more large institutions to kind of run clones of the current system to give redundancy. And then that gives like a level of decentralization. And in the background, then we'd work on um, kind of improving uh, the engineering tech stack uh, to have a transaction pool, which is missing from the current system. Um, at the moment, you have to send, you have to pick your falafel, uh, effectively. You you don't kind of uh, have a, a network uh, like Ethereum does and have like a, um, a transaction pool. So once we've built a transaction pool, um, it will enable kind of coordination of these um, roll-up providers a bit more easily. Um, and that's where kind of token economics can come in um, and full decentralization can occur. And I think we're, we're actively starting to work on that over the next year. Um, we don't have a date yet because um, putting dates is bad, as we, we've seen recently with our, our launch. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's definitely something that the, the team is uh, starting to work on post-Aztec Connect. Um, and it's a priority uh, for the company because we just believe that a fully decentralized privacy network is, is very important. It needs to be censorship resistant. Got it. You just mentioned the launch. I know we want to talk about that. So we're recording this mid-June. There was a launch planned for last week. And it kind of, it sounds almost like at sort of the very last minute, there was like a decision not to go ahead. Tell us what happened. Yeah, so um, I won't go into, we have a public Twitter thread on, um, I guess, the full post-mortem. But I think the the things that went wrong... um, we kind of ran out of um, road for testing very large rollups um, on mainnet. Um, we've done a lot of testing on kind of forked blockchains and the, the Ethereum test nets. And we'd expected those to behave like mainnet because um, because they're a test net. Um, and, and in some cases, they're, they're a copy. Um, they actually didn't end up um, behaving as anticipated. So... What happened on on launch day, um, everything had been deployed. We were sending roll-ups. Falafel and Halloumi were working kind of as intended. Uh, And we had a final kind of load test that we were uh, kind of planning on just running to sanity check that we could construct the largest roll-up that we could currently create, which is 896 transactions in a batch. And uh, when we constructed that uh, roll-up and tried to send it out to the Ethereum mainnet, 
um, it wasn't mined um, by any of the nodes. Um, or any of the geth nodes yeah. would, would not propagate it because there's this upper limit on the size oh, of the transaction wow. that you can actually send to the network which is a i think it's 128 kilobytes so this is a it's a valid ethereum transaction um the the largest kind of ethereum transaction by gas limit is close to a megabyte but certain um client uh, Ethereum client software um, imposes limits on the transaction pool um, to help transaction propagation. And uh, we anticipated that not being an issue, but it, it ended up being an issue. Um, so we decided to delay the launch whilst we worked on a few different solutions. Um, the easiest one is just constraining um, the kind of... Uh, batch size, I guess, right? The batch size. Um, yeah. It only is really an issue for deposits into Aztec um, would have to constrain it from around 896 to around 400 uh, transactions, which it does increase costs for users, but um, it's actually not too much because you're only amortizing the verification cost of the SNARK um, and you've already amortized it by several orders of magnitude at 400 transactions compared to the current system. So. It's not too big a deal. Um, and the other kind of option we've been uh, trying is Flashbots. Um, you can actually yeah. send large transactions directly to Flashbots, bypass the Ethereum transaction pool, um, and kind of get these large transactions um, mined by going directly to the miner. And you get the added perk that you kind of get MEV protection by doing that. So it's something we're, we're considering as well. Oh, interesting. Tell me a little bit about about the moment though when you decided not to do it. Like, were you guys together here? Yeah, you, we were here, right? Like, because uh, when you launch yeah. updates and upgrades, it's, it's kind of like a it's a group effort. Yeah, I think that basically we had we we were obviously fully intending on um, testing this on mainnet, but it, like before launch. But it just so happens that that testing on mainnet came down to like several hours before launch, just because we had got delayed for various other reasons during this during this launch period. Um, so we were just, yeah, we, we had obviously got everything out on mainnet and we, we had, uh, we were together trying to, well, together we work slightly remote, but we were all communicating very closely, generating these deposit proofs that we anticipated could be a problem. Like we, we did, we did anticipate there could be an issue here. Mm. Uh, we needed to see that this rollup would propagate throughout the network. Uh, and it just came down to the line and when, when, when it was published uh, and it didn't go out uh, as anticipated rather than just continuing to try and like force things through. We just said we need to take a step back and we need to like get this working stable before we uh, set another launch date. In a way, it sounds kind of lucky. Like I'm glad that you were able to sort of stop it before. Exactly. Because going could out. say it went yeah. well, actually, <laughs> yes. because you don't want that to that to happen after launch. For right? sure. So yeah. our testing did work. It's just unfortunate that it was just so close to the line. But yeah. There. But I'm like, when I saw that it wasn't happening, I also was kind of like, I think it's timing wise, like much, much better to to have caught it and to be able to like explore it and not be struggling. I think there's been other examples of networks launching maybe a little bit ahead of when they should have. Not so much rollups, but other things. And it's a lot harder, I think, to walk it back once it's out. So I think it's really good that you caught it. What's the next stage then? Like what comes next after that? I mean, I'm sure... The launch, I'm sure, is still planned, but I guess there's going to be, you're evaluating these different options. But in the meantime, are you also then running extra tests? Uh, like, yeah, we have the various teams, the cryptography team, engineering team, front end team, 
Uh, and we've effectively reset this uh, process whereby we will want to green light before we set like another launch date. Uh, so whereas previously we had sort of green lighted various things on the assumption that certain things were going to go well, we've, uh, we're being more strict this time around. Uh, so uh, once we have those green lights from the various teams, then you'll hear more about another launch date. I also wonder, I don't know if this even factors into your decision, but like, Right now, markets are looking really rough. People are kind of like sad and things are kind of unwinding. Like, is it a strange time to launch? Would it be a strange time to launch right now? Like, would it be better? Would it actually affect it at all? I don't think it would affect um, the launch. One thing we have considered as part of kind of the, the post-mortem though is um, kind of with DeFi, um, there's kind of a new type of like denial of service that can happen in adverse market conditions so oh, yeah. if this were to happen and we kind of had launched and we couldn't suddenly produce roll-up blocks mm -hmm. with the launch kind of uh DeFi bridges it wouldn't really be an issue because they're not borrowing based bridges but a lot of the market um kind of drama at the moment is around kind of under collateralized or heavily leveraged kind of uh, debt positions um and aztec connect does eventually support debt positions. Um, so I think one thing we're just, we're sanity checking is kind of, are those kind of good launch bridges and like, when should we put those in place um, to ensure that users can always exit from the, the system um, and they don't get kind of timed out in kind of highly volatile market periods. So are there other kind of, I don't know, updates or research, anything that folks should look out for kind of in the Aztec world? Yeah, we have an update planned um, at some point in, in Q3, Q4, um, where there's a few things we, we're looking to achieve. Um, the main one is upgrading to UltraPlonk, um, which enables Ethereum signatures. Um, so currently you have to sign uh, using a Grumpkin private key, which is uh, something a name of the elliptic curve we use. Um, Gr wait, Grumpkin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it, where does that come from? Is that a name? Uh, it's like Grumpkin and the uh, Hunting of the Snark, isn't it? I think, uh, was it, was it, uh, not Lord of the Rings, was it, what was that? Alice like? in Wonderland? No. Game of Thrones, was it? Okay. There, were, there, were, yeah. there were Grumpkins <laughs> and there were Snarks and it was Grumpkins without a P, but they were called Grumpkin because uh, I think Zach named it Grumpkin and he didn't realize the P shouldn't be there, but it stuck. So now we have Grumpkins. <laughs> okay. But yeah, so we're upgrading to enable you to have better security, basically, in Aztec. So you can sign with your traditional Ethereum wallet. Mm -hmm. um, and around the same time, we're, we're planning on seeing if we can move some data uh, off chain and it's linked to kind of large transactions actually um, and what went wrong with launch um, Aztec rollups are, are quite large um, and there's a few kind of parts to that there's uh, the actual proof which is tiny um, and then there's uh, on-chain data which is the leaves of the Merkle tree um, and we believe that should kind of always stay on chain mm -hmm. for the, the foreseeable future unless something like EIP 4844 blob transactions comes along. Um, but then there's kind of what we term off-chain data, uh, which is viewing keys and stuff where the security assumptions are slightly different. Um, it's not a system liveness issue. Uh, if you don't have this data, it's more a user can't access their specific funds. Um, so 
it's still quite serious, but the system can keep functioning. So we are looking at ways of um, moving that data to kind of other data availability layers um, uh, around the time of uh, UltraPlonk. Um, but so stay tuned for more on that because it has some pretty significant gas cost savings for users. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing with us an update about Aztec, CK Money, Aztec Connect, giving us a little recap on a almost launch and what we can expect soon. Um, but yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks a lot for having us. I want to say a big thank you to the podcast producer, Tanya, podcast editor, Henrik, Chris on research, and to our listeners, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.